Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word. So grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. Today, we are talking, uh, we're continuing in Genesis looking at uh, Abram, uh, where his name is actually changed to Abraham today. So we finally get to call him what we all know him as um, starting today. And we're looking at uh, his name change, but also uh, the, the sign of the covenant uh, that God gives him uh, for uh, this agreement, these promises that God has made uh, with him. And but if that, that language kind of freaks you out of a sign of a covenant, that sounds kind of like, what is that? Um, well, I'll tell you, every single day I wear a sign of a covenant um, right here on my finger. Um, this is a wedding ring. Um, my wedding was a time when I made a covenant with my wife in our marriage, um, saying that we were making promises to each other, that we were going to keep those promises to each other. Um, and daily, I have a reminder right here on my finger that I've made those promises. And that, those, that promise is right there for me to be reminded of at all times. Okay, so just kind of a physical reminder. Well, the same is true uh, with this covenant and the sign of the covenant that God gives Abraham. Um, And so uh, let's jump in and we're going to read through Genesis 17 and then kind of look at how we interpret this and how we look at this in light of being New Testament Christians as opposed to Old Covenant uh, people. So let's look at, at Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Remember that part. God shows up and he tells Abram, here's what I want you to do. Walk before me and be blameless. That I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Um, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or are bought with your money from any foreigner uh, who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. 
so shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from your people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house are bought with his money, every male among them, the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day, as God had said to him. And Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael was the son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of the house, those born in the house and those bought with the money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. All right. So if that passage did not say the word circumcised enough for you, then I'm sorry. Um, but yes, yeah, so we see here God shows up. And he's been making these promises with Abram all along, right? And he shows up and he just clarifies. He's like, you know, you guys, we looked at how they tried to do it their own way. And he has this son Ishmael from Hagar, not from Sarah. And God shows up and says, no. The one I've promised, the one I've promised to you is going to come from Sarah. Her name's now going to be Sarah. And she's going to be the mother of nations are going to come out of her. Kings are going to come out of her. Out of this line, I'm making promises to you. And here's what I want you to, to do. I want you as a sign of this covenant, a sign of these promises between me and you, as a daily reminder to you, I want you to be circumcised. And every man in your household. Now to us, this seems like just reading from the outside, like, what? Like God just shows up and he's, he's like, this is the thing we're going to do. And, and like, like, seriously, God, God, why did you choose that thing? Like, you know, like, why, why that? Um, but if we know this culture and we know what was going on in this area at this time, this actually was a practice that was already practiced in this area. Um, and it was usually practiced at the time of marriage, um, either in di- different parts of the culture. Some did it at puberty, some did it at marriage. Um, but the ones who did it at marriage, it was a sign of the husband now being, being under the family tree, uh, the family protection of the wife's family too. Okay, So there's the two families coming together, and a, it was a, a sign of that unity and that protection. 
And so I can kind of see why, if, if that was the understanding of it, God would take this and he was saying, hey, you're not making a deal with some other family. You're making a deal with me. And you're under my protection. You're under my providence. You're under my care. And I'm watching over you. And I'm watching over this whole thing. And here's the sign of it. And it's a sign that you're going to remember every day. You're going to see it every day. You're going to be reminded of it every day. It's going to, it's going to be there. And, and so we see here that circumcision was the physical reminder of the covenant between God and Abraham. Okay? Um, now, the, the, how does that covenant go? Well, we, kinda, we know a lot of the rest of the story, right? So God does keep his promise. They have a son named Isaac. Um, who does Isaac have? Jacob, good job. Um, who does Jacob have? There's only 12 of them. All right, so then, so Jacob has 12 sons. Uh, one of them was Joseph. Joseph protects the family by providing for them in Egypt. Uh, the whole family moves to Egypt. They become a nation there. They become a multitude. Um, and then coming out of Egypt, God raises up a man named Moses um, who does what? He gives them, he leads them out of Egypt, and then he communes with God, and God gives them what they call the law. Um, and this law is considered the law of this covenant, so that they, they see what happens at Mount Sinai being God just spelling out in more detail exactly what he means for his people to be his people. Uh, spelling out exactly what he means for them to walk before me and be blameless is what he told Abraham. So to, to unpack that takes... Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, like, you know, so, so pretty much the rest of the Pentateuch um, is unpacking what it means for them to walk before God and be blameless, okay? And so it was always associated that this sign of the covenant, circumcision, and, and that happening on the eighth day of a, of a male's life that was born into this family or any males that are, are joined into the family, um, that that sign of the covenant equally applies to and is connected with the law, okay? So now let's fast forward a little bit more. We get to the New Testament, and we have Jesus show up. And Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so Jesus came and he said, hey, all of that I have fulfilled. And he did. He fulfilled every bit of it. Every bit of the law he fulfilled. Um, and, and so in that, the, the greatest fulfillment was when he actually went to the cross, where he had, he's the only one who truly ever walked before God and was truly 100% blameless, as God told Abraham to be. He's the only one who ever fully accomplished that. And yet he's nailed to a cross, paying the punishment for sin, and he dies on that cross. And we know that, that that payment was received. We know that it was marked paid in full because he rose again three days later, defeating sin and death. And so we, we interpret all of this looking back at Abraham and looking back at circumcision. We interpret all of this through the cross. We interpret all of this when we look at old covenant stuff. We, we have to interpret it through Jesus. Because a lot of what we see in the Old Testament, Jesus marks fulfilled fulfilled. I've done that. Any of the guys that went through our, our book by uh, Steve Bateman, um, any of you guys, so it was seven things every, every man should know. 
um, which really includes about 120-something things for us to know. Um, but there were, there were three types of law. Anybody remember the three types of the law that he had in there? You're on the right track? Ceremonial. So there's the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law is how we can look at, at the Old Testament um, and the laws that are, that are in there. Um, can kinda, all of them kind of be bracketed in to those three categories. Um, so what is the civil law? Well, the civil law is the things that are in there about as a nation, this is how you're to conduct yourselves as a nation, right? Um, the ceremonial are all of the, the things about the feast and all of their ways of worship and all of their sacrificial system and, and all of those things. Um, all fall under uh, the ceremonial law. Um, so that's why Warren was saying the priestly, because, yeah, the priest and all of that falls under that part of the law. Um, the moral part of the law are the things in the law where it's just like, as people, this is the way our creator has designed us to live. And these are good rules to live by. Things like, don't kill each other. Don't cheat on each other. Don't steal from each other, Right? And those are, those are things that, that most societies actually accept. It's like, yeah, these are, these are good things because that, that law is kind of written on our hearts is the way that Romans talks about it. Um, and so uh, you might say, okay, Wayne, where are you going all this? Well, we're, going to un- we're just unpacking how we view circumcision, okay? That's all we're doing. Um, but if you think like, hey, maybe this isn't you know, very relevant to us today, it's very relevant to us today. Um, I'll tell you, uh, just a couple weeks ago, it was a Sunday afternoon, I took uh, my kids to the pet store, and we're hanging out in the pet store, and this kind, sweet old lady started talking to my kids, and no problem whatsoever, you know, and so she and, she and my daughter are having this conversation and carrying on, and, uh, and then all of a sudden I hear this lady telling my daughter, she's like, well, you know, you, you, you're really supposed to go to church on, sun, on Saturday, right? Because that's what the Bible says, you know, remember the seventh day and keep it holy. Um, and uh, I do have restraint, people, okay? I, 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 I just let it go. I just let it go. And my five-year-old just looks at her and goes, we went to church today. And then she goes on about doing her thing because she didn't care what this lady was saying. Um, but so, so, yeah, so that's one. So, like, why, why do we worship on Sundays, not on Saturdays, right? The Old Testament law said the seventh day, keep the seventh day holy. So why as Christians do we gather on, a, on the first day? Why do we do that? I'll tell you why we do that. That's the day that Jesus rose from the dead. This, this is the day that, that our, our covenant is all about. The thing that our hope is in, our hope is not in keeping the law. Our hope is not in keeping all of those rules. Our hope is in Jesus rising from the dead. And so that's why we gather since, since for 2,000 years, Christians have said, yeah, Sundays, the start of the week. Let's start our week with praising our Lord and Savior because that's the day he rose from the dead for us. Does that mean that you can't worship on Saturdays? No, I'm not saying that. You know, like that's, that's fine if that's what you choose to do. But if it's about a law, then I think you're kind of missing the point if that's where you're going with it. Others of us have really had these struggles. I know even in this room, we have different of us that see some of these things on, as a Christian, how do we relate to the Old Testament? How do we relate to the Old Testament law? And I know in this room, different ones of us see it differently. How do we approach the feast and all of the celebrations that we see in the Old Testament 
Like, we, we have different views in this room. I know in this, this room we also have families that have been very divided over this issue. And that it's been a very tough thing for some of you. Um, as, as people have, have kind of taken this issue and have, have fallen on different sides of it. And I want to tell you that this is not something that's new. This is something that was happening all the way back when the church first started. From the very beginning, there was this wrestle, there was this struggle of how does Christianity, how does what Jesus has done, how does the fact that he fulfilled it all relate to the old covenant? How does it relate to the promises made to Abraham? How does it relate to the word of God given through Moses at Sinai? And Christians have always kind of had this kind of wrestle, this kind of struggle. And one of the best books in the Bible for understanding this struggle is, is the book of Galatians, where Paul is hitting it right on its head. And in, in the book of Galatians, we see what's happened is, is in, in Galatia, Paul went in, he took the gospel, he shared with them the good news of Jesus Christ, they placed their faith in Jesus, the, the gospel has come, they're the church is being built up. Good things are happening. Paul does what Paul does, and he moves on to another area to go share the gospel somewhere else, um, to go spread it further. And he hears word that all of a sudden, these other people have followed him in. And they've come in, and they've started telling these people, yeah, all that good stuff about grace that Paul said, that's all true. But, but you know what else? You also need to keep these rules. We have all of these laws and if you really want to please God, well, then you've got to do this, and you've got to do this, and you've got to do that. And they add all of these rules and these laws onto the people uh, there in Galatia. And, and so the, the, Paul is writing back to them. And if you, if you wrestle with this topic, if you wrestle with what I'm talking about, I encourage you to do a deep study into Galatians. I'm just going to do an overview, hitting, hitting some high marks as we go through it today. But if this is something that you wrestle with, please take time on your own to study this on your own and dig into it and see what it says. But in Galatians 3, I'll start in verse 6. It says this, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness... Know then that this, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The promises of Genesis 17, Paul is explaining to us who is it that, that are the recipients of those promises. It's not those who keep the law. It's not those who are born into his family tree. It is those that are people of faith, people of faith in Jesus Verse 8, in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. He keeps going on explaining it more. We'll skip down to verse 29, and he sums it up here. And if you are Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you belong to Jesus, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So Christian, if you belong to Christ, as we look back and we interpret the things of the Old Testament, all of these prophecies, all of these promises made to Abraham, um, this, all of the covenant with him, as we look back on those things, we are heirs of that promise. 
simply by what Jesus did. Simply by the fact that Jesus fulfilled it all. And and so what about these other things, though? What about um, taking on things of Judaism? What about taking on um, things of, you know, of, what about all the, the festivals and the feasts and, and all of, of those things? What about the Sabbath? He, he goes on in, in chapter 4, verse 9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So what he's telling them is, hey, you're Gentiles. You were rescued out of being a slave to the world. And what you're doing is you're taking the freedom that you have been given in Christ and you're trading that freedom for a different form of slavery to the world. The form of slavery to the world of what Judaism had become. And so all he's saying is, you have taken one culture and the problems of that culture, you were redeemed from that, you were made new in Jesus Christ, and now you're trading that, you're getting rid of that for a different worldly culture. That's equally as hopeless. He said, you observe days and months and seasons and years. The only thing we can assume he means by that is you're putting all of your emphasis on these festivals and holidays and all these different things of the old way. The days, maybe, maybe they're focusing on, is, is it Saturday? Is it Sunday? Does, does it matter? And he, he comes to this point. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Paul, who's given his life to bring the gospel to these people, given his all to them. He's so beat up over this issue. He's so beat up over what he hears coming from them that he's like, I'm I'm worried I labored over you in vain. Did I just waste all of that time that I spent pouring into you? And then he brings this together. And the big sign that these people, the thing, that, the thing that, that they wanted everybody to do, the big thing that this group that was falling around was wanting, what was it? Circumcision. So Galatians 5, starting in verse 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. What does he mean by that? He's saying if you accept taking on all of the Old Testament system, if that's what your, what your hope is in, then Christ is of no, no advantage to you. If your hope is in saving yourself by doing these rituals and performing these, these rites and doing all of this different stuff, then Christ is, is worthless. What he's done is worthless because you're trying to do it on your own. You're, try, you're back to the point of trying to be blameless walk before God and be blameless on your own. And you can't do it. It's hopeless. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. So if if this is the way you want to go, you got to go all in. That's the only way to go about it. You You can't do it halfway. So if that's your way of getting right with God, go all in. That's your only hope. You're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. 
For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Anything that we bring to the table and we say, Jesus plus, is wrong. It's only faith working through love. That's all that matters. So whether you are a Jewish person and you come from a Jewish culture and maybe you still hold on to some of those Jewish things, that's fine. He's not saying that's the problem. He's saying that's the problem if that's what your hope is in. The problem is where your hope is, where your heart is. And so I know some of you like to practice some of the festivals and and those kind of things, and I think that's okay done in the right way. I don't think that's what he's saying here. I don't think he's putting a a complete ban on practicing any of that stuff, okay? But let me tell you this. For instance, if you practice the Passover and you don't get to the point of seeing Jesus as the lamb, then you've missed the whole point of the Passover, all right? That, that's where you're just, you're just building legalism in. You're just adding these things on. But I know some of you like to, like to take these things and learn from them. And learning from them, you're, you're, you're saying, wow, I learned more of what Jesus fulfilled. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. You did all of that for me, so I don't have to. I don't have to worry about having to do this on the right day of the month or the week or when the moon's in the right spot or any of that kind of stuff, right? Like, I don't have to worry about any of that. Because you fulfilled it all. You did all of it for me. And we get the great exchange. He takes all of our filthy rags, he nails them on the cross, and he puts his righteousness on us in the place. And that's the only way that we're truly able to walk before God and be blameless. Is by His being covered in his righteousness. And that's where our hope is found. And so Paul here, this is a New Testament thing, and he's dealing with it, and this is something we still deal with today. I don't hear people today walk around telling people to be circumcised, but I do hear people walking around telling my kid in a pet store, no, you got to worship on Saturday, all right? Which is the same argument. It's the same thing. It's the same issue of we're heaping these rules onto what Jesus did and saying, if we do this, then we're more spiritual, then we're closer to God. Then we're better off. Then we're better Christians. Whereas biblical Christianity says that with Jesus, it's not spelled D-O. It's spelled D-O-N-E. He's done it. He's accomplishment. It's fulfilled. And so when we look back to the law, we look at those parts of, of the civil. We're no longer are we to conduct ourselves as a nation state. So... Jesus fulfilled all of that. We're under his kingship now. We're a part of his kingdom that's not of this world. So we don't have to worry about those parts. They're fulfilled. When it comes to the ceremonial part, all of the different sacrifices, all of the different feasts, all of that, Jesus fulfilled. Is it worth us learning about? Absolutely. You can learn a whole lot about all of the things that, all of the different, when you learn all the different sacrifices going through Leviticus, it really broadens your perspective on what all Jesus did on that cross. That it was a one and done, that he did all of that. He handled all of that. He was the ultimate sacrifice. So I'm not discrediting those things. I'm not saying those things don't have their place. They have their place. But those things are not as important. Those things are not things that we put on top of Jesus. 
We focus on him. That's where our hope is found, is in Jesus and what he has done for us. And so in that, we have hope. In that, we have peace. And you say, well, what about the moral part of the law? Are we, are we able to just get rid of all that too? So then it's just like, believe in Jesus and do whatever I want. You guys hear that any today? Yeah, that's definitely out there. Well, let's see where Paul goes on that issue. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I, as I, as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If you live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. See, that's the problem. When you bring these divisions in, you got one group saying, well, this is better. We need to do this too. Whatever. What that does is it breeds this division. It brings in conceit. It brings in uh, this, this ability to provoke one another, and it brings division. And that's what many of you, I know, have sadly experienced before, even in your own families, of this division of, of well, we've got a better way, or we're not going to do this anymore. We're not going to do that anymore. And we are going to do this. And, well, you're just wrong if you're not doing it with us. And I'm sorry. That's a sad thing. Because what really matters is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when our hope is in that, then our response is, yes, I want to follow the moral parts of the law. Because I'm living by the Spirit. And the moral parts of the law are written by the creator himself who said this is the best way to live. And when I have the third person of the Trinity, him, within me leading and guiding me and I'm walking in step with him, then I'm going to want to live and walk in step with the way that he said is best to live and walk. And so it's not that Jesus, yes, Jesus fulfilled that part of the law to 100%. That's why he was able to be the perfect sacrifice for us. He's the only truly spotless uh, sacrificial lamb that there could be. He did all of that for us. But in that, he, he has paved the way for us to be like him. And that's why, yes, when the Bible talks about things that are against God and things that are immoral, we stand on those things. That's why when someone will, might throw at you, well, how can you, you know, worry about this sin from the Old Testament? Fill in the blank with whatever, you know, so... Let's just go with sexual immorality, right? That's a pretty broad topic, pretty prevalent in our culture. You can put it on whichever umbrella of that immorality you want. So why as Christians do you care about that, but you don't care about 
people having different kinds of thread in their garments. Did you know that one's in there? Yeah. And uh, the one I, I really wanted to throw at the lady about the Sabbath, she had this huge jacket on, and I wanted to tell her, you really need to take that thing off. It's got a lot of different threads in there. Um, but I didn't. It's restraint. Um, but... But yeah, so why do we care about one of the, Well, that one was talking about, that was a practice of worshiping false gods in that culture. And that was, that was what that was known as. And so that was a part of the, of the ceremonial part of the law, of being pure in even the clothes you put on, to which Jesus said, fulfilled, taken care of. Don't have to worry about this one. Okay. The sexual immorality, Paul makes it very clear here in Galatians, there's no room for that for Christians. We're not to be a part of that kind of mess. Leave that alone. That's of the world. That's not for people who are inheriting the kingdom of God. And so Paul makes this very clear here in Galatians. And so, as I said to start with, if if you struggle with this issue and how you find the balance of, as a Christian, how do I look back on these things from the Old Testament or how do I interpret the law? Spend time in Galatians. Paul's really hitting it hard here on what it's about. But what we can see clearly here is Christ's followers, we are heirs of the promises made to Abraham. And as such, we should walk in faith and love under the moral law of God. We're heirs. We're recipients of all the promises. We're the fulfillment of what he's saying in Genesis 17. It's not that we have to add Judaism onto it. It's not that we have to this plus. No, we already are just by being in Christ. And so I encourage you today, if if you've never placed your faith in Christ, you've never come to that place of asking him to be your Lord and Savior, do that today. That's the most important thing. And ask him, Jesus, will you forgive me? Will you make me new? Will will you make me yours? Because in him, there's a new covenant. It's the new covenant in his blood. And you know what? He gave us some physical reminders of that covenant as well. One of those, the sign of the covenant, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. Baptizing them. Baptism is considered the sign of the new covenant. In the same way that, that in the old covenant, they had this thing called circumcision. In the new covenant, we, it's not nearly as painful. <laughs> and Jesus says, do this because I have washed you clean. And we got to celebrate that with Stephen Courtney and, and just what God has done in their life. And it's an encouragement for all believers. So maybe for you, that's a step for you that you've never done. That you're saying, yes, my identity is in Christ. My hope is in Christ. I need to, to be a part of the sign of this covenant that I'm in. I need to be baptized. But another thing he gave us is a more regular. That, that one's kind of a one and done. You do that once because Jesus was one and done on the cross. So we don't need to keep being baptized because he doesn't have to keep going back to the cross. Okay, um, So that was a one and done. But he gave us a, also a physical, regular reminder for us, and that's the Lord's Supper. 
And that's what we're about to take off here in just a bit with each other. And this is a physical reminder to us that it was Jesus' body, his blood, that was shed for us. So that we can be reminded this is what our hope in this new covenant is in. It's in what he has done for us. It's in the way that he has, has given his all for us. And the fact that he rose from the dead after it all. So as we, we're about to go into our time of communion now, I encourage you just to examine your hearts. How is your walk before the Lord right now? Are there parts of what he, Paul said there in Galatians that there's no part of in the Christian life that honestly there is a part of in your life right now that you need to confess to him, that you need to be made right with him over, you need to be forgiven of? Take a moment in your heart just to confess those things to him. Ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to be made right. Are there parts of the fruit of the Spirit where, where maybe you're struggling with demonstrating that, that love? Or maybe that joy part just isn't coming through as much. Or that peace or that patience. Fill in the blank. Is there, is there part of that wall of your, of your walk where you need some attention? Spend some time in your heart before the Lord, reflecting on that and talking with him about it. And ask his spirit to lead and guide you in it. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through you. You're the only way. You did it all. You fulfilled it all. You marked it complete, done, finished, everything in you. And we thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for the hope that's found in you. We thank you for the peace that's found in you. We thank you that we don't have to add anything to you, but that you did it all. And that is what is required for our salvation. That's what's required for our hope. And Lord, I thank you for that. God, you are good, and there's nothing bad in you. Thank you for all that you do for us. And as we come to your table now, remind us of what it is that you did for us, the price that was paid and that it was our sin that required that price to be paid. Thank you for your goodness. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day. Don't you feel yourself.